All right, go ahead, grab a seat and grab your Bible. Oh, good morning, good morning. I'm so glad to see you today. My name is Josh. I'm one of the ministers here at Clear Creek. And if you're a guest, welcome to our family. We are, we're just honored that you're a part of our gathering today where we celebrate Jesus Christ. Some of you may never have been in a church uh, where people clapped, and, and that's okay. But one of the reasons we do that is we believe that if we can go to a sporting event where 18 to 22-year-old boys throw a ball and shoot it in a hoop or maybe run across a line and we can cheer for them, we can certainly cheer for the one who didn't cross into the end zone but went into death and came out alive for us. Amen? That's why we celebrate Jesus. Because we believe he is worthy of all of our praise. And today we are continuing that. I want to welcome everyone joining us in the cafe or online. A big shout out to my friend Joe, who's going to be watching this a little bit later. Hopefully I don't mess up too badly. And it's good to see all of you. We are beginning a teaching starting today for the next five weeks called Awaken. And I'm going to invite you, before we do anything else, to just pause with me. And could we just pray to God as we enter into this time of prayer and fasting that he would be present with us and that we would listen to him well. Can we do that, church? If you will, just close your eyes, bow your head. Father, we acknowledge your presence in this place. And you didn't show up because we came into this room. Rather, Scripture tells us that your very presence permeates all of creation, that you are everywhere, that, that no one has walked so far away from you as to escape your presence, but you are there, which gives me comfort and confidence that should I stray, I don't have to work my way back to you, I simply have to speak, and you're already there saying, welcome back, child. Lord, may we, over the next month, listen to you Please talk to us as your church, as your children. I pray that you would soften hard hearts, that you would use your spiritual meat tenderizer and cause us to be sensitive to your spirit's work. Lord, we love you and we thank you for loving us. Father, we thank you for our beautiful city of Chattanooga. And our prayer is that every person in Chattanooga would get to know the life that comes from Jesus. And I pray that we would be worthy vessels. And even when we fail, may people see Jesus in us. We love you so much. We pray this in Jesus' name. And all of God's people said, Amen. Amen. Turn with me to Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10. While we are turning there, I want to give you a real brief definition as to what we're going to be doing over the next 30 days. Over the next 30 days, we are in this season called Awaken, and it's simply a 30-day season of prayer and fasting for our church and our city to wake up to Jesus' purpose and presence in our lives. That's our heart, that's our prayer, that over the next 30 days in particular, through our decision to pray and to fast that we will become more keenly aware of God's presence and God's purpose in our lives and in the life of our city. And we have given out um, the Awaken Packets. We did this last Sunday. I, we may have upwards of 
five to eight remaining. If you are someone who did not get one um, and need one, you come see me and we'll give them out until they're gone today. But in it, there is some content. It's about prayer. It's about fasting. And we'll provide some additional resources if, if needed. But we're in this season because we believe that God answers the prayers of his people. And I love this, this title, this word, Awaken. Because it's such a vivid image of what God is calling us into as a father. One of my favorite things to do is wake up my children. How many of you parents enjoy that moment of waking up your kids? How many of you parents hate the moment of having to wake up your kids? I love that moment where I wake up or when my wife and I go in to wake up our kids. And when I go in, I try to use my wake-up voice. How many of you know what the wake-up voice is? It's a whisper voice if you're smart, if you're not. In fact, I'll show you some videos next week of what not to do when when you wake people up. So show up next week. We'll all laugh together. But I love it because you kind of, hey, good morning, buddy. Good morning, sweetheart. And sometimes we'll sing a song, right? Good morning to you. Good morning to you. Good morning, dear children. And right then the pillow flies towards our face. Good morning to you. And I love that moment. And the best part is when they are sort of like this, and you're like this, and their eyes kind of boop open, and, and they have that moment of, wait, wait, where, where am I? What's going on? And they blink a lot. And there's that moment of, I'm not sure what's going on right now, but you're loud. It's bright. I'm tired. Why are you here? I love that blinky awake moment. And here's the interesting thing about being asleep and then being awake is that you don't know that you were asleep until you're awake. Have you noticed this? It's not like you're aware that you are asleep usually when you're asleep. It's once you wake up, you're like, oh yeah, I woke up. At some point last night, I dozed off and then I'm now awake. But it's not until you wake up that you realize that you were asleep and it is God's heart that everyone, not just in the church, but in all of creation, would wake up fully alive in Jesus Christ. In fact, this is what Paul, the apostle, wrote in Ephesians chapter 5 and 14. He says, wake up, sleeper. And can you almost hear sort of the wake up voice? Wake up, sleeper. Wake up. Rise from the dead. And Christ will shine on you. It's a beautiful picture of going from death to life. He uses this metaphor, this picture of sleeping to coming alive. And the reason is it's so obvious because when you're asleep, certain things are true. Go ahead and put this first up on screen. When you're asleep, number one, just like when you're dead, you have no control over your thoughts. Have you noticed this? When you're asleep, you don't get to choose your dreams. Now, I know people talk about lucid dreams where they're able to sort of force themselves to think certain thoughts that allow them to dream certain dreams. But let's be honest, that usually doesn't work, does it? I remember the morning, it was about 2 a.m., so it was morning, but real early. I was 11 or 12 years old, and I remember waking up to the sound of thunder crashing and my father yelling. Because what happened, I found out after the fact, my mom woke up immediately before the events. She said she woke up because the bed was shaking and she woke up to see my father on the edge of the bed standing like he was surfing. 
And she came to find out what he was dreaming about is that he was on the back of an open truck barreling down the interstate and there were terrorists in the truck and he had to get out. And at the last moment, as she opens her eyes to see him do this, she sees him take a giant leap off the bed. Six foot one, 200 pounds of dad. Kaboom! Man, when you are asleep, you can't control what you think about. When you're asleep, it's not only that you can't control your thoughts, you can't control your environment, can you? Have you noticed this? How many of you, before you go to bed at night, check the doors, the locks, and make sure that they're all... Wait, really? No? No one? I know who I'm stealing from, do-da. Okay. I mean, you know this. You go. Why? Because you are not in control of your environment. You can't control what is happening when you're asleep. I remember back in middle school at Bible camp, there was one boy who slept like the dead. And he was sleeping on a cot because the cabin had too many kids in it, so they couldn't all have a bunk bed, so they brought a cot in. This kid was in the cot, and so finally, the last night of camp, everyone thought it'd be so funny, since he sleeps so deeply, to carry him out. And they carried him out while asleep, out into the middle of the field. And they went back to bed, and I just heard about the story because evidently they woke up before he did, so they're watching out the window of their cabin as he sits up, looks around, and goes, Guys, where, where am I? See, when you're asleep, you have no control over your thoughts, you have no control over your environment, and you have no control, get this one, over yourself. Now, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but... How many of us know of someone who drools in their sleep? Don't, don't raise your hand unless it's for someone else. But how many of us know someone who drools when they're asleep but does not drool when they are awake? I mean, here's the reality. If you were in a conversation with someone and they just start to go from the mouth, you would call for medical assistance. But when they're asleep, they have no control over themselves. Now, here's the picture that Paul uses. He's saying in the same way that there are physical realities to being asleep, there are realities to being spiritually dead or asleep. And, and I know if we were to talk right now, some of you would say, yeah, I, I can't control my thoughts, either the things that I desire and I know I ought not, but I just have no control over them. Or for some, it's not that you desire bad things. Rather, you can't control that little tape in your mind that keeps replaying all the bad things you've done and the guilt that you carry is overwhelming. There are others in here you'd say, well, I can't control my environment. Maybe none of us can completely control it, but you'd say, I I, I feel completely out of control in my relationships. I feel completely out of control in my finances. I feel completely, completely out of control with what's going on around me and some of it has to do with the fact that you are living asleep and not alive. And then there'd be others in here you'd say, well, it's not just my thoughts. Man, I can't control what I'm doing, and, and, and I want to do what's right, but I just have no ability to do what is right. And Paul would say that it's time to wake up. And even for the church, even if you've been saved by Jesus, even if he has raised you from the death of sleep, some of us are dozing. We're saved, but we're kind of still sleepy, aren't we? we? We keep slipping back into bad patterns of thinking, living, and feeling. And so he says, I want you to wake up. This is God's heart for God's people and God's world. And so for 30 days, our prayer, our focus is that we would wake up and invite others to wake up to the sweet sound of our Savior saying, 
Good morning to you. Good morning to you. In fact, the reality is, this is why we are here. To be awakened and to help others wake up. In fact, there are two groups that Jesus wants to wake up. Jesus wants to wake up the sinners and the self-righteous. For those who do not yet know him, he wants to raise them from death of sleep. And for others who are in him, he's calling us to wake up, to say, hey, look, it's not about how hard you try. It's not about how good you are. It's not about how much you maneuver and effort and all of that. You wake up to what he wants to do. In fact, Luke chapter 10 and verse 25 through 37 is a wake up passage. And this is the familiar passage. If you have your Bibles, look with me. If not, you can follow along on screen. But it says this. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up. By the way, expert in the law is just another word for a lawyer. And he stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Well, what is written in the law? Jesus replied, how do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and with all your strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied, do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, "Uh, and, and who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him of clothes, they beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. Now a priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. Everybody say, other side. So too, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. Everybody say, other side. But, verse 33... A Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him. He bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, took him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day, he took out two silver coins and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Now, which of these three men do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, well, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Jesus is offering a wake-up call to the self-righteous, and to the sinner. So you have this very familiar story. And we often call it the story of the good Samaritan, for that is the, the explanation of this character. But the story is simply Jesus' answer to a fundamental question. The lawyer comes to Jesus, and he says to Jesus, Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal Life. Now, in the Jewish way of thinking, life and eternal life was not what happens after you die. Rather, eternal life included from this moment forward. It was not about the length of your years, but the depth of your years. Jesus, how do I live the fulfilling life I keep hearing about? What does it look like 
to have depth of years, not just length of years. And so Jesus does what Jesus often does. He doesn't answer with an answer. He answers with a question. How many of you grew up with parents who never, when you got in trouble, they didn't reprimand you. They just pelted you with question after question. Where were you? Well, why were you out so late? Why didn't you call? Did your phone not work? Did your car break down? Did you die? What happened? (laughs) Some of you go, just hit me. Don't ask me another question. Jesus says, well, what do you read? What do the scriptures say? And the lawyer, he goes back through. You can almost imagine him thumbing through. And and as he comes to the conclusion, he says, well, it seems pretty clear. There's two commandments that summarize them all. It's love God with your heart, soul, and mind. And then love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus says, correct. Love God. Love each other. That is it. Now, here's what's interesting. Jesus is not saying that the other laws do not matter, but rather that all the laws you and I can think of, and by the way, the Jews had 613 laws. He says, it's not that they don't matter, but rather if you get these two correct, you get all the other ones. Let me give you an illustration to make sense of this. Uh, Suppose you are a student in school and you've been working very hard. You come to your final exam and the teacher says to you, there's a test. 175 essay questions. That is what it will take for you to pass the course. But I have good news. These two questions, if you get these two correct, then you get all the others thrown in as well. Is anyone thinking that's a pretty good deal? Where would you focus your emphasis of study? Well, on those two questions, correct? Or what about this? Suppose you just went, you found the perfect house, you're getting ready to you know, get it all fixed up, and you get a 30-year mortgage, or maybe it's a 15, doesn't matter. You get a multi-year mortgage, and the bank comes to you and says, well, that's going to be 360 payments once a month, 12 months here, 30 years. But if you just make the next two months payment, we'll give you all the rest free. Pretty good deal, isn't it? Jesus is telling us the same thing. Now, he's not saying don't treat others well. He's not saying don't, don't lie. He's not saying any of that. But he's saying if you get these two correct, all the others come as a part of it. And so let's sort of walk through this. The very first one, love God with your heart, soul, and mind. Jesus begins with this one, love God with every. If you get these right, you get everything right. So love God with everything. And so you can almost imagine the people saying, yeah, 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 but but, but what about washing our hands before we eat? What about ceremonial cleanliness? What about the do's and don'ts of eating? What about uh, about the Sabbath? Or, or, Or how far can we walk in the Sabbath? What can we do on the Sabbath? What about marriage? What about what we dress with? What how how we behave? What about all that? Jesus says, love me. And it all works out. Those things are important. But if you love me, these other things will come along with it. But but, but Jesus, but Jesus, uh, the other day I I, I was kind of in the middle of work and I didn't realize what time it was and I began to work into Sabbath. I'm so sorry. Love me, Jesus says. Jesus, I haven't done everything right in my life. I've made some big mistakes. I have messed up. I have hurt people. I've done some things wrong. And Jesus says, love me. Don't simply focus on what you've done wrong. 
Now, here's what I find so interesting. In a world of thou shalt nots, the priority from Jesus Christ is on a thou shall. Did you hear me? Uh, Let me say that again. In a world that is focused on thou shalt not, don't do this, don't go there, don't think this, don't do that, Jesus' priority is on thou shall. Not because these are unimportant, but because he knows that if you love him completely, all these other things will take care of themselves as well. Have you noticed that? Let me give you an illustration of this. Suppose for a moment here, uh, ladies, how many of you tell your man, tell your husband, don't you cheat on me? Whatever you do, don't you cheat on me? No, a wise woman does not focus on getting her husband not to do something wrong. She simply says, hey, love me. Just, just, just love me. Hey, love me with, with every bit of your being. Let me be your number one gal. Now you say, well, boy, that makes her a weak woman. No, it doesn't. That makes her a brilliant woman, doesn't it? Because ladies, don't you know that if your husband is so focused on loving you, you will never have to tell him to be faithful to you. Jesus gets it. If you love him with everything, then these other rules, that you realize the rules are only necessary because we don't do the first thing really well. The rules are there for lawbreakers, but man, if I'm just loving Jesus, I'm all about that, then all of a sudden, these other things do not take precedence because I'm running after Jesus. I just automatically begin to do these things. Listen, when you stop thinking about God as a cosmic policeman with his radar gun trained on you as you speed down life and begin to see him as a loving father who not only would do anything for you, but has done everything for you, all of a sudden you begin to stop living out of law and into love. It is, here's who he is, here's what he loves, here's how he wants me to live and love as well. I hope, I pray, oh God, over the next 30 days, open our eyes, awaken us, that it's about loving you, that it's about loving you. And I pray, I pray that we will, some of us, all of us will find a moment in our life where we can fully love God 100%, because that's a big thing, isn't it? Have you ever loved anything with your entire heart, soul, and mind. Boy, I tell you what, my love is pretty fickle. But my prayer over these next 30 days is that God, oh God, wake me up to your love. He says, that's the first one. Now here's the second one. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. After all, if you love yourself well, and by the way, I would tell you, you cannot love yourself unless you know who God is. Because there will be things you do for yourself that are simply fixing a craving, that's, but that leads you to destruction. True love of yourself comes from knowing who God is and what he has done and how he has made you to live. And once you know that, then love your neighbor as you love yourself. So for instance, if I love you as much as I love me, then God will not have to tell Josh, Josh, don't steal from people. After all, I wouldn't steal from me. Why would I steal from you? People, have you noticed that we often prefer to have mercy for us but justice for others? 
You know what I'm talking about? No, no, no. If I do something wrong, I want you to forgive me. But if you do something wrong, whammo. We want justice. But he says, love others as you love yourself. For when you love others in the way you love you, oh my goodness. The laws become secondary because you won't have to be told, don't lie to each other. Don't gossip about each other. Don't, don't, don't assume the worst, but assume the best. You won't have to be told any of that because if you love others the way you love you, well, I assume the best of me. I don't lie to me. I don't steal from me. Love God. Love others. Is it possible that many of us need to be wakened up to simply see that it's not about the laws, it's about love? That God has called us into something. But it's because the lawyer doesn't quite get this. Now now you can sort of sense he's picking up some of it. Because he got the answer right. But he's still rubbing the sleep from his eyes. Because he follows up with this next question. Do you notice the question? Jesus, you're talking about these neighbors. Who is my neighbor? Now do you know why he asked that question? He had a list of people that he did not want on his neighbor list. Now, any of you have people, don't don't raise your hand, don't raise your hand. Rather, uh, you can just kind of give me a little wink if you want to. Any of you have, uh, I don't want this group on my list, neighbors, anyone, anyone? Yeah, yeah, I see some of you, okay. And some of us, we've got that list, don't we? So for some of us, we say, Jesus, Jesus, all right, I love you, absolutely, got it, check. I love people, but this group of people. Are you sure, Jesus, I have to love Democrats? Okay, the laughter tells me who the Republicans are in the house. And then others say, with Jesus, I, I, you know, I love, do I have to re- love Republicans? And then others, well, Jesus, Jesus, okay, do I have to love people who don't look like me? I mean, come on, are those really my neighbors? Jesus, what about people who, who don't behave the way I behave? Do I, I mean, surely they're not my neighbors. And Jesus goes, no, 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 no. Notice Jesus does not qualify the command. It's love God with everything and love neighbor with everything, just like he'd love you. And so Jesus says, well, let me tell you a little story. And I love how Jesus doesn't answer the question. He asks a question eventually, but he says, well, a certain man, isn't Jesus brilliant? A certain man is traveling down from Jerusalem to Jericho. Now, the fact that he is coming from Jerusalem, which is the capital city of the Hebrew people, tells us that he is a Jew. He is a member of the holy people. And as he is on his way down, traveling this very dangerous stretch of highway from Jerusalem to Jericho, he is beset by robbers. They beat him up. They leave him bloodied, naked, left for dead. They take his stuff and they hightail it out of there. And then Jesus says, now, there came along a man. He was a priest. Uh, The priest were the ones who worked in the temple. They, they taught the Torah. They were the scholars of their day. And in a moment, we're going to hear not only a priest, but a Levite, someone from the Levitical line who works in the temple. They are traveling along one after the other, same stretch of road. Now, when they came upon the person, this man who is as close to dead as you can without being dead, they saw him went, no thanks. 
went to the other side and kept going. Now, some of us, when we hear it say they passed to the other side, we think of like a four-lane highway, don't we? Like, here's the man. They go, "Mm, nope. (laughs) That ain't what happened. When it talks about this road, this road was nothing more in many places than the width of an animal. So to pass onto the other side with a man sprawled out, you're not going around the man, you are stepping over the man. Now listen, listen, I don't want to pick on these guys too much because the fact is, according to the law, they were not allowed to handle dead bodies and still be able to fulfill their temple responsibilities. How, how is it that we, I mean, maybe they were on their way to temple to work. And they thought, well, if I, if I touch this dead body, even to check and see, and it is, then I've got to go back home, go back through the ritual cleansing before fulfilling my duty. And I've got to do what God has told me to do. But do you see this? The law was keeping them from love. Isn't that interesting? It, it, I, I don't know that they were bad people. I wonder, is it possible that they were just busy people? Is it possible that God is calling us to wake up and to see the people around us, to to see what he's calling us into, this love? And it's not that you're bad. It's not that you're intentionally ignoring, but maybe we're just busy. How many of us, by the way, sometime in the last week have heard someone, this is all swim right now, show of hands, how many of us sometime in the last week have heard someone say, when you ask them, how are they doing? They've said something like, I'm busy. Anyone talk to a busy person this week? I'm waiting for the honest people to raise their hands in the church. How many of us, though, find ourselves in those moments where we say, I'm just so busy? Sometimes we miss what God is doing, not because we're bad, but because we're busy. And he says, but there was a third man. And this guy comes along. In fact, he wasn't just any person. He was a Samaritan. Now, we call him the what kind of Samaritan church? The good Samaritan. Now listen, to a good Hebrew, that is an oxymoron. A good Samaritan? Ain't no such thing. I mean, you know what an oxymoron is, right? It's a phrase that in and of itself sounds contradictory. For instance, jumbo shrimp. There's still a shrimp. Or how about this one? A little bit pregnant. (laughs) Any... I'll let you think on that one for a moment here. Any of you ladies who've been pregnant, you know there is no such thing as a little bit pregnant. You're pregnant or you're not pregnant, right? And so to this Jewish man, he's thinking that's an oxymoron, that there's a good Samaritan. But Jesus says this man comes along and he gets off his donkey. He checks to see if the man along the ground is alive. He finds out that he is. He then pours oil and wine on him. These were medicinal in nature. He puts the animal on his, or the, the man on his animal, takes him to an inn, pays for him to get better. And then Jesus asks the question You're saying, Who's the neighbor? What does it mean to be a neighbor? Who are all my neighbors? I'll tell you, let me ask you this Who was the neighbor in this story? And you can just see the lawyer going, why did I ask that question? Because here's the thing, you and I all have an inner lawyer in us, don't we? That look for the loopholes. Who's the neighbor? And the man says, I can't say Samaritan. It was the man who showed mercy. 
That's the neighbor. And Jesus says, that's right. Now listen, verse 28, Jesus said, you want eternal life? You want depth of life? Here's what it takes. You wake up to know that it's about loving God, loving people. You don't step over the brokenness because of busyness, but rather it may be that God is placing people in our path. And that is what real life looks like until we get this. So many of us will never fully wake up to the life God has called us into. And I want to tell you how we can do this. Are you ready? Here we go. Did you know that... Every day, sociologists and smart people tell us that you and I see somewhere in the neighborhood of four to 10,000 messages a day. Four to 10,000 messages a day. This is on your phone. This is on the TV. This is on the internet. This is in print. This is as you're driving down the road and you have billboards. This is menus. This is everything. In fact, I read one article from 2017 where the author was skeptical about this number of messages we see. And so I said, well, I'm curious how many advertisements are on the page this article has written. There were 28 ads on on this one web page where he's saying, no chance we see that many messages. We see a lot, don't we? Did you know that your brain, God has created this fabulous filtering system for the purpose of helping you stay focused on what's important and keeping out what's not. It's called the reticular activating system. The reticular activating system, or if you really want it to be simple, it's the RAS. It's a bundle of nerves at the base of your brain, and their job is to help filter out, put this up, to filter out what is not important to you and focus in on what is important to you. And so here's the way it works. You want a new car. And so you start doing a little research. You go to, you know, KBB or you start looking up what are the different options? What do you need for your family? And you find the car you want. For me, growing up, it was always a Jeep Wrangler. Four-door, soft top. I didn't care if it had AC because I just ripped that roof off and go for it. Now, how many of us know that when you start looking for a new car and you begin to do a little research online... What do you begin to see wherever you go on the road? You see that car, don't you? It's everywhere. It's like, pop, man, everyone's buying the one I want. Now, that car did not just magically appear. It's not like it just started to come around you like, I'm here. That's not how it works. Rather, what happened is you told your Raz, this is what I'm interested in. It said, okay, I'll start looking for it. And you begin to see what is already around you. Or for instance, you're in a crowd and there's a bunch of people talking. Have you ever had one of those moments where you're in conversation and someone else's conversation that you're not listening to, they say your name and all of a sudden you're like, yeah, what, what? It's your Raz. It's saying, this is important. Your name is important. So when you hear it, you perk up. God created this so that you could focus on what is important to you and filter out all of the rest. Hear me now. You have a spiritual Raz. God has given us the spiritual process of dialing in saying, this is important to me, but this really isn't, but this is. Here's the reality. I don't even know what God wants me to do this week. I I don't know who the people are that I may need to care for. And the chances are maybe you don't either. 
And I cannot imagine the number of times unintentionally I've stepped over people because I was busy or I had things to do or I was trying to do what was right, but I missed the opportunity. And God is saying, I don't want you to miss what it means to live wide awake. And that means to love God, to love others. He says, okay, how, how do we turn our wrath on? Real simple. Scripture says it's as simple as prayer and fasting. That's why we're doing this awaken. Where we simply every day say, God, what, what do you have for me today? Fasting, church, this is something we don't often talk about, but here's a simple way to understand it. Your life is like a cup. We'll talk about this more, but your life is like a cup. And isn't it true, often our lives are just full of things. Not necessarily bad, but just full. The reality is I cannot put anything new in my cup until I empty out what's in my cup Fasting is a way of pouring out something that we want, we desire, we think about to create space for God to speak to us. It makes us more aware of what he is doing in our lives. That's why Jesus says, not if you fast, but when you fast. When you say, oh God, help me to see what you want me to see. Wake me up to what you're doing in this world. Help me to grab hold of how much you love me and love others. He says, here's how you tune your spiritual Raz, and as you do, you'll be walking along this week. I don't even know where it's going to be, but you'll be walking. Maybe not from Jerusalem to Jericho, but maybe from your house to the grocery store, or from your office to your coworker's office, from your desk to a friend's desk, from your treadmill to a friend's treadmill, from your neighbor to another. And God will, in that moment, say, Good morning to you, good morning to you, good morning, dear child, good morning to you. Do you see that person? It's time to wake up, do you see it? If you want to live like you've never lived before, it's not about more rules, it's not about more laws, it's about love God, love others, and I'll end with this, and we're going to go into a time of prayer, but here's what I want you to hear, church. Do you understand the reason that God says this is everything, love him with all that you've got and love one another? It's because this is what he lives. God the Father loves the Son with everything. God the Son loves God the Father with everything. God the Holy Spirit loves the Father and the Son, three in one, one God, three persons, and they love each other perfectly, love God with heart, soul, mind, all of your being, and love your neighbor as yourself. Do you realize that God loves you as much as he loves his Son? You say, whoa, how's that possible? For God so loved the world that he did what? Gave his only Son. In other words, when God had the choice to say, keep Jesus alive or draw all people to him, he said, I love the world as well. And in fact, did you hear the question the lawyer asked? How do I, what do I do for eternal life? And I can almost imagine Jesus just inside laughing, saying, brother, you have no idea what you're asking. You can't do it, but I'm going to do it for you because I love you. And the inheritance from the father to the son is going to go to all who will simply say yes to me. 
And so God says, if you want to live, if you want to love, if you want to know what it's like, then love God, love others. May we see what God wants us to see. And so this week, here's our prayer prompt. Father, wake us up to see what you see and who you see. Thank you for seeing me. Let's say this all together. Let's stand. So let's say this together. Our prayer prompt for the week is, Father, wake us up to see what you see and who you see. Thank you for seeing me. He sees you. He knows you. Whatever you need, come receive that today in prayer because he loves you and he longs to wake us up.